And then we made another breakthrough discovery, and that is that serverless is a big deal. If we're going to be the dominant default cloud service for Postgres, the underlying technology needs to basically be endorsed and blessed by Postgres itself. Obviously, owning Postgres is impossible. That cat's out of the bag. It's like owning Linux. But you can build a company that is providing the best Postgres service in the cloud. That's where the most valuable workloads are living anyway. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Nikita Shamgadov. How are you doing? Great. Very happy to be here. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, I'm actually happy to have you here. Uh, I've been following Neon for a bit and uh, looking forward to digging into serverless Postgres. But do you want to quickly explain who you are, what you do at, at Neon? Absolutely. So I'm CEO at Neon. Neon is a, is a company that is two years old and change, maybe two years old in a couple months. And we're building serverless Postgres. Now, I spent my whole career in the uh, database space. Um, after my PhD, I started in 2005 uh, working on the SQL Server project at Microsoft. After that, after six years at, at, at SQL Server, where I worked on the core engine, uh, mostly on the compute side of the things. So all databases, they, they typically have storage and compute. So I worked on the compute side of things. I started a company called Single Store. Single Store is a unicorn company as of last year. Uh, it raised, I believe, at 1.2 or 1.4 billion in valuation. So it's already post the crazy 2021 years. Uh, it was in 2022. So the valuation is, is more justified. And it's a scalable database. So I spent a decade building a single store from the ground up. And through that journey, we built you know, a scalable database, which turned out to be an enterprise-first offering. So basically, because it's scalable and can support very, very large workloads, you find those workloads in the enterprise. And the sales motion for, for this company turned out to be top-down enterprise sales motion. After that, I joined Coastal Ventures as a partner. And walking into Coastal Ventures, I spoke to Vinod Kosla, who basically is the founder of Coastal Ventures, and said, you know, as I was building single store, uh, focusing in the top of the market, I have this idea of, of, of how to become kind of the default cloud database and go and figure out a bottoms-up adoption. And that was the idea of Neon. The node said, you know, on the spot, you know, here's $5 million, why didn't you figure that out? And we were going to incubate the company. And we started working on that. We started payroll on March 1st, 2021. And think about, you know, when... When you start companies, typically it's a group of friends that are kind of iterating the, on the idea, figuring that out. In this particular case, this was a, uh, a company built in a lab. So the idea was there. The idea was to create a, a dominant Postgres offering. We, we kind of observed the fact that Postgres is becoming more and more popular as a developer choice and nobody owns Postgres, which at least from the very first principles, allow you to come up with it, with a company idea that provides the best Postgres service. Obviously, owning Postgres is impossible. That cat's out of the bag. It's like owning Linux. 
but you can build a company that is providing the best Postgres service in the cloud. That's where the most valuable workloads are living anyway. And so despite the fact that it was not very clear why Neon will win over RDS or AWS Aurora or, you know, Azure SQL, a cloud SQL at Google, we felt that the opportunity is large enough to go and try. And we started with building a team because the company you build is the team you build. And so I started calling all the Postgres committers. Okay. I had a, a bit of a brand uh, already, you know, like having built a, a database company, which is a unicorn company. And I was pitching that. And as I was pitching this, I was refining what we're actually going to do because people ask questions. So very quickly, we, we navigated to at least one important idea that, you know, if you look around and see who is making money in the Postgres ecosystem, mostly that's Amazon. Like that's probably number one. And Amazon is making money over the two products. One is RDS and the other one is AWS Aurora. Because I'm a database nerd, I intimately understood the architecture of AWS Aurora. In the database world, everybody knows that. It won 10-year award paper, and I believe in 2017, in one of the major database conferences. So, you know, it wasn't a secret that this was at least a very exciting architecture. And also, a bunch of time had passed since 2017, and people were also clear that, hey, you can improve this architecture, you know, and, and call Aurora's architecture V1, there was a V2, and potentially V3. We actually managed to come up with a V3 of that architecture. And in databases and in systems in general, uh, architecture is super valuable because if you set the architecture, everything layers on top and all the concepts you introduce in the architecture, they stay with you forever. So you got to get this one right. And we had a lot of conviction that if you want to build a modern best-in-class cloud service, this will be the architecture. And the key in that architecture was storage. So at SQL Server, I worked on compute. At Single Store, you know, we built the whole thing, storage, compute, cloud service. Here, the, the kernel of this is storage, but database storage, not file system storage. So that's that was kind of the first mega insight for us that the, the key architectural advantage will be that storage. And we integrated that storage with S3 for, for cost reasons. And then we made a decision to open source that storage. So we said, if we're going to be the dominant default cloud service for Postgres, the underlying technology needs to basically be endorsed and blessed by Postgres itself. And it would be impossible if it's, if, uh, especially for a startup, you know, Amazon maybe have a different type situation because of a gigantic company. But for a startup, we got to be open source and we claim that real estate of, you know, open source alternative to Aurora. And we even positioned our storage initially in the GitHub repo as, and as an alternative to AWS Aurora. We also decided to build it in Rust uh, as opposed to C++, even though I grew up in C++, just because it's a modern systems language. It, can allow to, to attract the modern systems developer. So we, we actually arrived to that relatively quickly and through the debate, and then we started writing code. In parallel, I've been calling Postgres committers, got blessed with two co-founders, Stas and Heike, which are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Heike is a Postgres committer, uh, Stas Postgres contributor. Um, the difference is 
uh, Hey, he can author commits and Stas needs to find a committer before commits uh, go in. And we built our initial team around posters, hackers and systems engineers. And then we made another breakthrough discovery, which became our positioning. And that is that serverless is a big deal. We realized that serverless is, is a big deal. And we also realized that is hella hard to build. And specifically, I'm very proud of the hella hard because I'm an immigrant and I learned it from South Park. <laughs> well, you're in the Bay Area, so yeah, it's, uh, you're catching up quickly. Yeah. Kind of catching up quickly. It's been all, it's only been 18 uh, years for me in the United States. So, <laughs> so, um, so we discovered the serverless is important. We discovered it because early on I called all the ecosystem, future ecosystem partners, including Guillermo Purcell. I was introduced to him by a common friend, Alad Gil. And that's what Guillermo told me that serverless is important. I also knew that serverless was really took off at, at Aurora. And then the third thing is like nobody else has serverless. Like there's literally two serverless offerings for Postgres. One is Aurora and the other one is Neo. Nobody else can do this. And there's kind of now that we've sunk multiple man years of R&D into this. It's pretty clear to me why. Because it truly is quite hard. And serverless for something that was not designed to be serverless uh, uh, initially requires a particular uh, technical approach, which in our case is basically orchestrating micro VMs. So we run Postgres in micro VMs, we inflating and deflating them, and we live migrating them between hosts. And live migration doesn't even break the TCP connection to the VM. And so that kind of scheduling machinery operating on the, on the fleet now over 100,000 databases is like a, a piece of art. And there aren't papers that you can read uh, that, that describe you to, to how to do that. So it's kind of like a very hairy project that lives in the world between systems and just kind of plumbing things together and leveraging, you know, micro VM orchestration and Kubernetes. So, but long story short, we discovered that serverless is mega important. In general, the, the fewer knobs you have to your system, the easier it is to scale, the easier it is to adopt. And so the vision is that that every time you spin up a Postgres database on Neon, all it is is a URL. And once you have the URL, which is a connection string, then your storage, your compute is, is scaled for you. And you are only charged for what you use. You only charge for the amount of storage that you consume and for the amount of compute you consume on a per second basis. Yeah. You, you mentioned Guillermo uh, in passing and Vercel. Like, uh, th- that's what sparked me to reach out to you, which is the, the launch of the was it Vercel Postgres, which is you're sort of the, one of the launch partners with with them. So because you're, can you explain how you're able to launch alongside of Vercel and how that kind of the integration works? Yeah, and, and I think serverless is is the keys to the kingdom here. I'll speak about two things, um, and for one, we're we're actually getting a good amount of criticism, which is scaling to zero, and I'll explain what's the roadmap on that is. But basically, in order to integrate Nian into any other platform, all you need to do is to create a Neon account and then use an API to spin up and spin down databases. Now, in the world in which we're not serverless, we would have to expose a parameter, which is the size of the database, or probably two parameters, the size of compute and the size of storage. And as 
we, we expose those two parameters, every launch partner will have to introduce their own menu of various sizes, you know, call it t-shirt sizes, uh, for your environments. And introducing those sizes will inevitably lock ourselves into be very careful of how we change those sizes as well. Because let's say you have 20 partners and then every partner has a bunch of sizes and now you're like, oh, those sizes are wrong. So now instead of, you know, small, medium and large, I want to change that to medium, large and extra large, whatever that means. Uh, now you go to 20 partners and you have a conversation and then they have their customers and they have to explain this to, to their customers, to their users. So that, that makes it just very, very tricky to operate. The other thing is Vercel has edge functions, serverless functions, and they kind of require the rest of the infrastructure to be serverless as well. Within serverless, there is a unique feature of Neon, which is scaling to zero. And what that means from the technology standpoint, we actually shut down the VM. So, you know, we separate storage. Storage is one, one global low latency storage that lives in the cloud. And then every time you go and create a database, you know, we launch compute in the VM uh, of size X, but we know that size and you don't and attach it to that storage. And as you drive the workload, we change X to, to Y or Z or whatever. We adjust the size. Now, if you go away and you don't touch the database for five minutes, we shut down the compute. Now, the question is, what happens when you come back and start querying the database? Uh, well, we bring the compute back up, but that takes time. And generally, all serverless architectures fall into two categories. The ones that are truly serverless shut it down to zero, but then the trade-off is you have a cold start problem. And then the rest of the systems are not truly serverless, so they slow burn compute, even if you're not using it, so they, they actually burn money. And then they have a choice of passing it down to the user or not. The difference in cost that we're seeing by doing some modeling is five times. So on our 100,000 database fleet, if we don't shut down to zero versus we do shut down to zero, the cost of AWS bill, the size of AWS bill is 5x difference. Now, our cold starts are currently about three to five seconds. And we're getting a lot of heat from the competition. They're like tweeting about us saying, you know, oh, cold stars, they shut down to zero, cold stars are terrible and stuff like that. Just next week, we're going to roll out and our cold stars will become around a second. And from there, we'll drive them down to half a second for sure, with some probability 250 milliseconds, with some lower probability 250 milliseconds. And at that point, it becomes unnoticeable. And so hopefully we'll be able to live in the, in the best of both worlds where we drive the economics and we pass those economics to the users. And we have, you know, pretty much invisible cold stars and we're getting closer to that vision that the database is just the URL. It's always available for you and it scales up and down and it costs you zero if you're not using it. But to answer your question, yes, you know, it's that serverless promise that got us to engage with Vercel and engage with Guillermo. And Guillermo is also an, an angel investor into the company. And we're working very, very hard to become the best possible partner for Vercel. 
Excellent. Yeah, this is. A, I mean, it's very opportunistic too, as well. Because the, the, I don't think serverless is like even hit its sort of inflection point. I think we had a lot of a lot of people trying the serverless sort of realm with tools and, and strategy. And I think the extremely ambitious for getting Postgres on serverless. I I, I agree one hundred percent. This is what made me really interested in just the product offering. Uh, I did want to touch base on the the open source angle too as well because you'd mentioned what really struck me is that you went to committers in Postgres, and that's how you sort of fielded your initial team. But what's been the impact of being open source first with this, this sort of approach? Yeah, we we had a certain amount of debates. Um, internally, not that many, but people ask all the time, what's your license? Well, it's Apache. Well, what's your protection from somebody else, big, scary Amazon or, you know, fill in, replace Amazon with any other hyperscaler, taking your IP and rolling their own offering on your IP and the code that, that you spend a lot of time building. And the best answer, because like intuitively I felt like that's no problem. We should just be Apache. And then I was talking to the CEO of Nutanix. Uh, well, he's the CEO of DevRev right now, but the founder is uh, and uh, ex-CEO of Nutanix and he like looked me in the eye and said, Nikita, the license is a rich man's question. And you're not. So make it Apache and forget about it. Just like do excellent work. And if you do excellent work and the traffic does come and this, the threat that you are worried about does materialize, you can make that decision down the line. If you need to, you can relicense, which I don't want to, but you know it's still an option. You can also advance your cloud service ahead where the open source bits are, which I think that is the Databricks strategy, or you can have additional services that are very useful to your users in addition to the crown jewel of the technology, kind of the core of the technology, which is storage. And that resonated super well, and so we just parked it. But I think um, the more I think about it, the more I think it's a feature, not a bug, to not only be open source, but to be open source with the most open license, uh, which is Apache. And even more so, we are considering internally to, to not just open source the storage, to open source the control plane, which is absolutely unheard of in the world of databases and service. So if you, if you look to any of our competitors, you will find that occasionally they are built on top of the open source backbone. But never the open source, the control plane, because that's actually a lot of IP is in the orchestration of your cloud service. But I think we might open source the control plane as well. Okay, and can you explain, so uh, the orchestration is the control plane, like for someone who's not building database tools? Yeah, so that's actually Amazon's terminology, data plane, control plane. Okay. So data data plane is your storage, and data plane in a way is your you know, the, the database engine itself, which is Postgres, right? And then control plane is when you go, when you log in into the dashboard, into the console, well, there's some amount of code for front-end and back-end of that console. You know, think about um, AWS dashboard. But then as you interact with the systems, you basically give the system tasks of, a, okay, go provision me a database here. And the system needs to go and spin this database up. In the serverless world, you know, all the decisions of, hey, I, I want to increase the size of the database, decrease the size of the database, increase the size of compute, decrease the size of compute, 
move things around. That's scheduler, distributed scheduler that runs on top of Kubernetes. All of that is control plane. And if you open source the control plane, then theoretically with enough technical chops, you'll be able to take an arbitrary Kubernetes cluster and deploy all the new machinery into that Kubernetes cluster and, and run the service yourself. And so that's what we'll be exposing ourselves to. But I think in return, we're actually gaining stuff. We're gaining trust of our users. Uh, we're gaining trust that if something happens to Nian, the bits are out there. And we potentially will sign up on-prem partners down the line. You know, companies like VMware, uh, we already signed up for Kona. So we're not closing the door to partners like this. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And this is something that I, I personally, I the way we structured the product I work on day to day is same question. Like we did go Apache as well for our license and then kept moving forward. Uh, I didn't get the same advice, but I just sort of watched a bunch of other projects do very similar approaches. So I was just like, let's just not overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. The, but the orchestration layer, the control plane, it, it, I'm enticed. Um, so I'm very excited to, to try yeah. to try Neons for to start with some side projects. Uh, I definitely want to start shipping some stuff with it, get comfortable with it because it, mm-hmm. The underlying technology being Postgres, so like it makes it very approachable to me, and I imagine everyone listening who also very familiar with Postgres, very approachable to them. So, question to you is like, how do folks get started? What's a recommendation? Look, um, it's trivial to get started. You you go there, you authenticate with GitHub, and I assume you have a GitHub account, and then from there you push a button that says create project. You name the project, press OK, and then three seconds later you have Postgres. You have a connection string. So now just use Postgres through that connection string uh, and build your app. There is uh, a couple things that are new in addition to that. So basically the, 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 the first five minutes experience is what I just described. You know, you push a button, you can do it on this call and you will have Postgres and hopefully it will take you less than a minute to get onboarded to Nia. There are a couple more things which are different. In addition to the Postgres connection stream that you can consume from, I don't know, Python and Ruby on Rails uh, over TCP, we offer a uh, serverless driver that you can consume over REST API. So if you go and Google Neon serverless driver, it will have an instruction. So you can query Neon from your browser, you can query Neon from the Vercel edge function or from Vercel serverless function. And then the other thing that's different is you can create branches. So if you need a dev environment for your production environment, at any point in time, you can go and say, hey, create branch, and that will create a, a full copy of your data and give you a separate URL, separate endpoint for you to, to query the database. And that's how you create an isolated environment for your project. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing how folks can get started. Uh, it sounds pretty straightforward. So, with that said, I'd love to get us over the picks. Uh, these are jam picks, things that are, keep us going, that we're jamming on. Could be tech related that keeps you up at night, or actually, hopefully, the good kind of keep you up at night. Uh, but also music, food related as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't mind, I'll go first. Yeah, yeah. And I mentioned this in our prep call. Uh, I've been messing around with Langchain. Uh, I actually sat in a, uh, a workshop for like 
it was like the on deck fellows. So I'm like a, a bunch of founders have an organization, uh-huh. and it was one of their workshops. It was uh, specifically on how to get started in LangChain, and it was like once I saw someone implement it, I was like, oh, I get it. I totally understand what we're doing here, and um, like the world. I know you, you, Neon's going to be uh, shipping something pretty soon, but this world of like doing semantic search and like building your own chat GPT and like training, not even training the model, but just like keeping track of like searches on top of searches and like the result of searches that they build on top of better searches. Completely blown away, but I've got so many like nifty ideas on what I want to do with it. So I won't share what my, my cool side project will be, uh-huh. but I've got a really cool side project around the data we have at open source uh, contributor data uh, and how to leverage link chain. So I haven't seen anybody else pitch the same idea. So I'm actually looking forward to ship this in the next like week or so. And then very cool. Yeah. If we're lucky enough, we'll be on Hacker News. If not, you'll have to comb through Reddit and see where the post got missed. But yeah, Langchain, uh, to check it out. Uh, I'll pause and ask if you have any picks for us. Let's see. The one that I've been looking uh, lately is in the auth space, authentication. So I'm a huge fan of Clark. And so do invite them to your podcast. Um, I think they're doing uh, very important work that is delivering on the promise of Auth0, but delivering it for the JavaScript and React world much better than than Auth0 did. So that would be probably the first thing that comes to mind. There are a couple more smaller things, uh, one of which is dark mode. Uh, and every developer tool should have a dark mode. Uh, and so Nian is going to have a dark mode. So I think on that one, that, that would be kind of the highlight. Wow. I, I, I'm envious. We have actually not shipped our dark, dark mode yet. We, we shipped a feature that actually is presented in dark mode that we'll ship next week, which is a different way how we present our data. But uh, we haven't done dark mode because it was just like, it's one of those things that, it's either do it at the beginning or like when you have the time and we, we just never had the time. Yeah. We, we, we are in that mode now where we, we catching all the, all the corners. Um, I want to call it dark corners, <laughs> but they're actually light corners. <laughs> and then we need to go and pay them into, into dark mode. Yeah. You, you've got a, a very exciting launch happening that mm-hmm. recording of the podcast for folks to take a look at. Why don't you explain that? Yeah. So we have a launch coming in next week. We're very excited to introduce a few things to Nian. Now, Nian is a two-year-old company, but we launched it last year about the same time. So the company is one year old on the market. I, actually, I didn't even know that. I, I was assuming this was around since like 2020 or something, but no, absolutely amazing. In 2020, it wasn't even an idea. In 20, we started in 21, March 21. It was uh, three guys and a dog. Actually, there was no dog. Uh, it was just three, the three guys and a slide deck. And we started working on that. And obviously, you, you know, you need to build a service and you need to build the storage. And storage is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty big project. And last year in July, at the same time, we were behind a wait list. So we had a few thousand people on the wait list. And then we were, we started to onboard them, you know, hundred by hundred and then learning how immature the system was. And then we, we, we just kept maturing the system. Uh, we officially, uh, invited everybody December 6th last year. And to give you some more stats, January 1st, we had just under 9,000 databases on the platform. And as of today, over a hundred thousand databases on the platform. So since since January, we we drove the number of databases, you know, very very high. 
So now we'll launch every quarter or so. And this time around, there is a number of things that I'm super excited about. Um, I'm actually looking at the, the plan. So a lot of them are just reliability and performance. So we're going to improve our cold starts as, as we talked about cold starts. Uh, and <laughs> I say cold starts way too much. I don't even know what I say more AI or cold starts uh, more often. <laughs> so, Well, in serverless, if, you, if anybody touches serverless, you know cold start is something you, you probably talk about a lot. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to improve our cold starts from three to five seconds and specifically the P90s um, uh, to about a second. And that's just the first step towards improving the cold starts. So I think cold starts were like right now, they're just annoying. Um, once they're in the second range, they are still annoying, but, but a lot less. And then once they're going to be in the low 100 millisecond range, they, they hopefully will become unnoticeable. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to have improvements on the, on the cold starts. And that's kind of unique to Neon. Classically, databases offer you a TCP connection. And the TCP connection is how you interact with the database. You go authenticate, and then you start uh, establish a TCP connection to the database, start sending queries. Now, this works kind of less well in the web scale world, in the world of, okay, well, I have my app written mostly in JavaScript, and it has front-end, back-end database, but that back-end starts to disappear, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, we're starting to live increasingly in the world of declarative backends, and then a lot of code is written in the browser. And specifically, this declarative backend doesn't necessarily run in the VM. So it can run in a serverless infrastructure. It can run in Cloudflare Edge functions, Vercel Edge functions, Vercel serverless functions. So it's hard for that backend to maintain a TCP connection anywhere. And so that's why we introduce um, uh, this thing that we call Neon Serverless Driver. And that serverless driver gives you single, uh, well, we have that today, but starting next week, that serverless driver will give you single digit millisecond latency between an edge location and Neon, at least in the same region. So that's another thing that we'll, we'll be launching next week. We are launching our uh, PG embedding extension. Okay. So if you're familiar with PG Vector is, it's a plugin to, to Postgres that allows you to do vector math. Yeah. And what people use it, it is kind of like an alternative to Pinecone to, to build memory to, uh, to their large language models. Now, if you actually zoom in and look at the implementation of PG Vector, it uses an, an algorithm, an indexing algorithm and a, and a search that's called IVF flat. But there, you know, all these algorithms, they, they run a, a process called ANN, approximate nearest neighbor. Basically, given a vector, give me top however many vectors that are closest to that vector, to the input vector. And the reason you want to do that is because, well, you want to do a semantic search, right? So you yeah. get embeddings, you get embeddings out of OpenAI. OpenAI has a very cheap API for embeddings. And then you index your content, you know, based on the per document or sometimes on the per paragraph, per snippet, whatever. 
you create those embeddings for them, put them in a vector database. And with PG vector, Pouch just becomes that vector database that can store vectors and that can run approximate nearest neighbor. And in PG vector, you're using an IVF flat algorithm. Now, the complexity of that algorithm is square root of n. Yeah. And there are other algorithms, specifically uh, HNSW, which is an alternative. The complexity of HNSW is log n. Yeah. And so as you start adding more and more vectors, log n becomes much smaller than square root of n. And so modern ANN implementations from like Google and Facebook, various libraries, they tend to use HNSW. Uh, and not IVF flat. So we're going to launch uh, a plugin that's called PG Embedding. A Postgres plugin specifically, or is this a Neo? Yeah, it's already out there. Uh, on, uh, it's an open source repo. Of course, the license will be either Apache or Postgres license, but basically it's super permissive license. And it's an alternative to PG Vector on our basic benchmarks. And of course, it's benchmark specific. Uh, but we put like a million documents in into the thing and compare the performance. So it gives you about 40 times faster performance on vector lookups on this approximate nearest neighbor. And the other thing that would, would be, they call it better recall. So recall is, uh, you know, the percentage is basically, you know, how accurate that is because it's approximate nearest neighbor, not nearest neighbor. And precise nearest neighbor is, is too expensive. So we need to basically scan the whole data set. But with an index, you can you know, compute approximate nearest neighbor. And approximate nearest neighbor you know, algorithms always have this recall parameter. And the higher the recall, the slower they are. And when recall, I think, just want to be precise here I, um, uh, with the definition of recall. But I think when recall is like one, that means it, it has to be absolutely precise, 100% precise. Uh, and so recall is the number between zero and one. Yeah. It's a number between zero and one. If it's one, you know, you, you request 100% recall. And that's when, what makes algorithms slow. But if your recall is kind of reasonable, then they, they're much faster. And, but you as a user of that is, uh, uh, are okay with certain imperfections and imprecisions. Anyway, long story short, better recall, 40 times faster. Uh, implements HNSW. Basically, we're wrapping libHNSW into the um, into PG embedding, uh, and so we'll introduce it to the world, and we'll we'll offer it to the folks at the at the hackathon uh, about uh, Landchain um, and the rise of PG Vector. Um, but basically, just to repeat myself real quick, PG Vector implements IVF flat, uh, which is an, an algorithm with a complexity square root of m. Um, we're launching PG embedding, same idea, does similarity search, open sourced um, under the Apache license, uh, but the complexity is log, log n. So it's a much more performant algorithm. And if you have a billion, a million embeddings, so you will, you should expect, you know, uh, about 40 X improvement in speed uh, on, uh, on that algorithm compared to PG vector. Very cool. Well, by the time this podcast comes out, this stuff will all be launched. So folks, check it out. Check out Neon as well. And uh, Nikita, thanks for chatting with me and, and sharing updates on serverless Postgres and what you guys have accomplished. I'm extremely impressed. Yeah, excited to be here. Um, and we should talk again next year, uh, same time. Uh, and then you will see how, how much we will have done. For sure. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. 
That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. 